Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, my name is Dan. I will be reading from Acts 13, 1 through 5 in the NIV. You can feel free to follow along on the screen. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. We are going to be in the book of Acts this morning. Back in 2008, it's amazing how time flies when you're having fun. Back in 2008, a movie came out entitled Marley and Me. And perhaps some of you long-timers will remember this moment as a church. But on that particular day, it was gloomy. It was probably a Tuesday. Tuesdays are my day off. And I thought to myself, well, why don't I take Kirsten to a movie? Now, Marley and Me is a dog movie, and I'm not a dog person. I enjoy dogs, but I'm not that affectionate. So I thought, well, this would perhaps uh, cheer Kirsty up. She loves dogs. So let's go see Marley and Me. And Marley and Me is about a couple, and they were debating whether they should or should not have a child, so they instead get a dog. Child, dog, child, dog. So in time, they end up having three children. They kept the dog the entire time. The dog becomes a part of the family. End of the story, the dog dies. Well, I say that in 2008 when the story came out. And I wasn't realizing that I was spoiling the entire movie for anyone that wanted to see it. The dog dies. Now, there's a reason why I don't watch movies uh, surrounding or involving pets because I'm very emotional. I don't like getting emotional about pets dying. But they tug on you hard. We've had two dogs. We've seen both of them pass, and it's very emotional. So I just eliminate that emotion from my life and not have pets. But spoiler alert, if you have not yet seen Marley and Me, the dog dies. When you talk about the spreading of the glory of God through the spreading of the church, well, that's the end game. That's what's going to happen. We know how this story ends, don't we? The glory of God is going to spread through everything until... The entire cosmos is filled with his glory. And we have seen from Acts 2 that the means to that end in this economy during this period of time is through the local church. We have stressed how the local church is God's means of covering the earth with a knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. This objective initially given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1:28, till the soil fill the earth, then through Abraham in Genesis 12, culminates in Christ to all the nations. The story tells the reader that the nations he rules over, you and I as a local church are to be making disciples of. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are witnessing to the 
veracity of the biblical story, what the scriptures say concerning these things are indeed true. The birth of the church on the day of Pentecost is visibly showing the global spread of God's glory. It is through the global spread of the church that his vision is coming to pass. And the book of Acts traces for the reader the steady advance of God's glory through the spreading of the local church with elder leadership. And the intent this morning is to walk us through the entire book of Acts to show you what this looks like. So we will note in the book of Acts how the spreading of the local church, the church of God, is indeed the spreading of the glory of God. Those two ideas are linked together in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you have the second volume of two-volume work. In Luke 24, at the ascension, you have the cause Jesus Christ is right now sitting on a throne at the Father's right hand. Then in Acts 2, you have the effect or the consequence on the day of Pentecost. You have the birth of the church. We showed how in Acts 2, the initial parts of that chapter, when the Holy Spirit comes back into the church, into the temple, the disciples, and then it ends with this descriptive concerning the church, that those two ideas are indeed linked together. And that's what we're noting. What I'm wanting to see before we actually get to the study proper is how the book of Acts can be read in different ways. If you read the book of Acts, the 28 chapters, you'll recognize that there are certain distinct personalities, and it can be read biographically. When we look at it geographically, which we will in just a moment, you have chapters 1 through 7, then 8 through 12, then 13 through 28. But in the first 12 chapters... It is primarily about Peter. At least Peter is the primary figure. He's the one who is prominent. In fact, in the first 12 chapters, only once do you have the name Paul, and that's in chapter 9. Beginning then in chapters 13 through 28, it is all about Paul, and the only time Peter occurs is in Acts 15. Did you get all that? if, If this is like Bible nerd stuff, I like that. This isn't going too far down the rabbit hole, but it's pretty cool. When you read Acts, if you look at the first 12 chapters, all you hear is Peter, 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 Paul. Then you turn from 12 to 13, and it's Paul, 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 Peter. So you have this emphasis through these two key individuals. When you talk about Peter, it's all about the Jew first. That's the pattern to the Jew first. That's what you have in the first 12 chapters. When you turn that page and you hit chapter 13, you know that something is occurring that's different. The message begins to go global. It has always been, from day one, chapter one, an inclusive global message. It has always been for all the nations. Paul is that pivotal point when you begin seeing all this language about the Gentiles. When we get to Acts 13, and I'll I'll note this now, and I'll come back to it, but in Acts 13 we find the the center shifting from Jerusalem, which is Jewish, to Antioch, which is Gentile. Both are dominant cities. And it's interesting that in the ancient world, there were multiple cities named Antioch. So you have Antioch of Pisidia, which is in Asia Minor. That's the green arrow. And then you have the yellow or orange arrow, which is our Antioch, Syria Antioch, which is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. But the, sh- the shift, the focus point, the centerpiece shifts during that time. When you read the book of Acts geographically, you know that in chapters 1 through 7, it is in Jerusalem. And this is mimicking, it's echoing, it's playing out Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Beginning in, you will be my witnesses, beginning in 
Jerusalem 1 through 7, then there's persecution, the death of Stephen. It launches the church out. It goes to Judea, Samaria 8 through 13, and then it picks up to the ends of the earth in chapter 13 with the Apostle Paul. What I find interesting when I read my Bible is that between chapters 8 through 12, 15 years pass. 15 years! Normally, when I read my Bible and I look at chapter 1, I think, well, today's Monday. Chapter 2 is Tuesday. Chapter 3 is Wednesday. Chapter 4 is... Are you following what I'm saying? We don't begin in chapter 8 reading those next five chapters and think 15 years just passed. But that's what happened. And then when we pick up with Paul's journey in chapter 13, where we have what are called the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul... The fourth one to Rome wasn't necessarily planned by Paul, but was part of God's purpose for Paul as the message reaches out to the ends of the earth. Well, from 13 to 28, you have about 14 years. And I find that type of information very encouraging or very interesting. So we have personalities, Peter, Paul, Jews, Gentiles. We have these primary cities, Antioch, Jerusalem. We have this geographical division from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost regions. And the other thing that you can track in the book of Acts is this idea of the word. The word becomes prominent. It says that the word of God spread. And in every one of the geographical locations with both personalities, there is this emphasis on the word of God. As the word of God is proclaimed, as it is expressed in a Christocentric way, showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these ancient promises... It says the word of God increased, it spread. And in each one of the sections geographically, you can note the progression of the word of God. That as the word goes out, people are believing, they are then baptized, and they are then added to the church. And what we often say as a fellowship is that the spirit of God does indeed take the word of God and does a sure work in the people of God. So as we are exposed to the Word of God, the Spirit of God does a work. As we read the Psalms, as we read a Psalm on a Sunday morning, we are believing that the Spirit of God is going to take that Psalm, the reading of it, and do a work in us. As we publicly read Acts chapter 13, 1 through 5, our intent, our goal, our belief is that the Spirit of God is going to take the Word of God and do a sure work in the people of God. Aren't you not thankful for that? That's why we lean heavily into the Word of God. A fourth thing that we should see, and again, I I find all of this interesting as you look at the book of Acts, but a fourth thing we should see is the word church as it's found in the book of Acts. When you look at the the word church in the book of Acts, in chapters 1 through 12, the, the idea of church is very general. It uses the word church, but there doesn't seem to be this this formal structure. It occurs 10 times in chapters 1 through 12. It'll occur another 14 times in chapters 13 through 28. And I'll note it in a moment, but there's a distinction between what you read of the church in 1 through 12 and then what you pick up in chapters 13 through 28 with the Apostle Paul and what Paul does as the glory of God spreads through the church of God. So what we end up seeing is that through the spread of his church, we will see this, The promises of God are ever-expanding until they cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So how do we as a church participate in this global spread? 
Well, we as a church participate in the global spread as not only we gather, but then as we seek to plant other churches, as we partnership with other churches in planting churches. And since day one, Acts chapter 2, that's what we've seen until we are now praying for the church in all these countries. So we see, we note, and what I'd like to do is this, eight closing thoughts. Right now you're like, wow, quarter two. And he's on his ending. This is awesome. No, but what I'd like to now do is just give you, based on like the information we've received in bulk, is be a little bit more specific about the church as it occurs in the book of Acts. But let's begin with number one, the localized church. The localized church is how the vision of God spreads from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So when you and I read Acts chapter 1, and it says that we are going to be this witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost regions of the world, and then we come on chapter 2, and chapter 2 gives us the coming of the Spirit filling the temple, and then we get to the end of chapter 2, verse 41 through 47, and it says now you have this gathered church. Well, that's how... The glory of God, the vision of God is going to be fulfilled. It's going to be fulfilled through the spreading of these geographically identified and localized gatherings, the church. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. The second thing is that the church is localized and it is made up of those who believe and are baptized. In Acts chapter 2, which we've noted last week, It said in verse 41, So those who received his word, the word of Peter, Peter explaining what has just happened as fulfillment of Joel 2, that Jesus Christ in Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 is the fulfillment of these ancient promises, so that those who received his word, those who identified Jesus as the promised Messiah, those people were baptized by immersion, and then they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And you then read chapter 2, 42 through 47, and it gives us this descriptive. So we know that the spreading of the glory of God is through the spreading of the church of God, and that these churches are geographically identified, they're localized, and they are made up of those who believe and are baptized. And most of us would say, well, so far, so good. Number three. By the time of the Apostle Paul, so we've noted how in chapters 1 through 12, you have 10 occurrences of the word church. Beginning in chapter 13 through 28, you have 14 occurrences of the word church. It's not that different. But when you read Acts all the way through, you see the occurrence of the word church in the first 12 chapters, but the nature of that church takes on significance in chapters 13 through 28. And why is that? Well, a thought was offered to me, and I thought, well, this is an interesting thought, and I thought I would share that thought with you. When Acts chapter 2 happened, and by the way, when, when the ascension took place on day 40, Jesus said to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the promise, the fulfillment of the Father's promise. So they're waiting, and then on the day of Pentecost, that promise was fulfilled. When the Spirit came upon the disciples, those disciples believed, and I think they were correct in believing so, that Joel 2 was being fulfilled. And they thought, well, the kingdom has come. His will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they were pumped. They, were, they just thought, this is the best thing ever. 
And when you get to the end of chapter 2, they're, they're putting all their money in one pot and the needs of the people are being met. And it seems like happy, 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 doesn't it? That's chapter 2. Chapter 3, Peter preaches. Chapter 4, Peter goes to prison or jail. He's beaten. Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira die. Chapter 6, you have people who are being neglected and you have the coming of the deacons. Chapter 7, Stephen is stoned. Chapter 8, Saul persecutes the church and the church is scattered. Chapter 9, there's conversion and he is persecuted. Chapter 10, the conversion of the Gentile Cornelius. Chapter 11, famine and financial gifting. In chapter 12, Peter is imprisoned. So that utopic idea they had concerning the church, well, experience-wise, the wheels were falling off the bus. And now they had to begin structuring what this might look like for the long haul. And you have the Apostle Paul. And you have all these letters that Paul lays out in front of the people explaining what life looks like theologically and practically for the church. And we'll see that. So by the time of the Apostle Paul, as the, as the vision of God spreads, as the church of God spreads, by the time of the Apostle Paul, church planting takes on a far more intentional and structural format. What does that look like? The fourth point is this. The elders of localized churches, and that's what we then see in chapter 13. If we were to go back to that text, we see how the elders identified Barnabas, and Paul and John Mark, and I would throw John Mark in there simply because of verse 5, but they've identified at least Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work to which they have been called to go out and preach the gospel among the Gentiles. And what we'll see in their wake are churches, and what we see when the church is planted is that elders are being appointed. You have this formalizing structure playing out. Well, number four, the elders of localized churches send out church planters. This sending is directly linked to being sent by the Holy Spirit. If you look at chapter 13, because for for me, reading Acts 13, we have this picture, and I think we have a valid picture in Acts chapter 2 concerning the church. Then we come to chapter 13, and the gospel is now going to go to the ends of the earth. And it says inside this text, they've now been set apart. They've now been prayed over. And they are being sent out, verse 3. But in parallel to the statement, they then after fasting and praying, they, the elders of this church, the apostles of this church, prophets and teachers, laid their hands on them and they sent them off. And then it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Those two ideas are in parallel. The sending out by the church, the leadership of the church, the church, they are being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Those two ideas are connected. So when we talk about church planting as an expression of the local church, we as a church are to be sending out people to pastor and plant churches. And when we do that, that is the Spirit of God sending them out. Those two ideas are linked together. I note here that there is no sending by the Holy Spirit without the sending by the local church. And think about that. In our individualism, we, th- we like to think that we are above this, that we can do this, that a church planter could do this in the absence of a local church. And there are occasions when that indeed does happen, but that is not the pattern inside the New Testament. 
church planters are sent by churches. They are sent by the leadership of that church. The idea that much of, of what we call missions and having the idea of missions separated or connected to a local church is foreign to the New Testament. It is the local church that sends out church planters to plant churches. What is really interesting as well is that when the Apostle Paul came back, he would report to those churches. For example, he sent out in chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, Barnabas and John Mark and Paul. Now go to the end of chapter 14, verse 24. Chapters 13 and 14 are what are called the first missionary of the Apostle Paul. He is sent out by this church in Antioch. And then in verse 24, it says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. So they're now returning to the church that sent them out. Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, so they were sent out by the leadership of this church. The church sent them out. That was a sending of the Holy Spirit. They did this work. They were planting churches. They were appointing elders. We'll note that in a moment. When they finished, they came back to the church that sent them out. And notice, they reported... And when they arrived, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's what they were commissioned to do. And then they remained no little time with the disciples. So they came back to the church that sent them out. The church sent them out. They came back to that church. They reported, and then they stayed at that church. I would argue that he reported to them, and he was under their collective oversight. Church planters should be a part of a localized church and under their oversight. Church planters should come back to the church that sent them out for refreshment and ministry. I think that's a big idea. Often those who are on a missionary support are supported by a gajillion different churches or a gajillion different individuals. And when they come back on home assignment, they are running all over the place. I think as a local church, as we send out church planters, as we send out pastors, we ought to be a place that they come back to under our oversight for refreshment and ministry. They are a part of us. I always think it's interesting because Paul had a very unique role as an individual, both ancient and modern. But Paul the Apostle was still a Christian who was a part of a congregation and under the oversight of the collective elder team. That's what we see in the book of Acts. Paul wasn't above the church. He was under the church's collective oversight. And we'll see this pattern throughout Paul's missionary journeys. So the fourth thing we see is that the elders of localized churches were sending out church planters. And those church planters sent out by churches were under the oversight of those churches, and they were to come back and report and stay and be refreshed and minister. The fifth thing we see, the pattern we see, is that as Paul preached, he left in his wake churches wherever he went. If you have your Bible and you are able to turn to several passages, let us simply note this idea. In chapter 15, verse 41... I don't believe what I'm telling you is a stretch. I do believe that what I'm telling you is from the book of Acts. 
In chapter 13, there's this shift, and we've already noted that in the larger structure of the book of Acts. Paul now is taking the gospel, he's taking the vision of God, the glory of God, to the Gentile world. And the intent of the structure is to show us how the vision of God is now spreading from Jerusalem through Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There is this intentional shift from what we see in chapters 1 through 12 to what we now see in chapters 13 through 28. The Apostle Paul is sent out by the church in Antioch. He is under their oversight. As he goes out, he comes back. He reports to this church. And he stays there, and he is refreshed, and he ministers. Now, as we track the Apostle Paul from chapters 13 through 28, we see that as Paul went to these different places, he left in his wake churches. Chapter 15, verse 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. In chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Chapter 18, verse 22. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And again, remember, you're talking about a 14-year period from 13 through 28. So you've had time for these churches to develop. But as Paul went through regions, as Paul visited cities, he would preach the gospel. People would respond to that gospel. They would be baptized and they would be added to the church. And so you have these gatherings taking place in the wake of what Paul was doing. Chapter 18, verse 22, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. Then they went down to Antioch. He returns again to Antioch. He's coming to the end of his second or third missionary journey. After spending some time there, remember he spent time in the church that sent him out, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Then chapter 20, my last passage for this point, chapter 20, verses 17 and 28. Chapter 20, verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church... And I've made a statement, and this is my opinion about that particular text. I have said often that there is only one church in Waukesha County. That church is localized in different places, but there's only one church. And I think in Ephesus, there might have been multiple geographical locations for this church. But when he called for the elders of the church, he called for all these elders in the different churches to come together. And the apostles spoke to them at that time the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, then we have this incredible statement or sermon. And then verse 28 of chapter 20. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's what elders are. To care for the church of God. So everywhere Paul went, he left in his wake churches. And you can trace that idea throughout the book of Acts. The, sec- the sixth thing that you see as you read the book of Acts is that as Paul planted churches, so Paul went out, he preached the gospel, people believed, they were baptized, and they were added to church. He then gathered them together, and he began formalizing that idea. And what you see in the book of Acts, and as Paul planted churches, he began ordaining elders in every church. Look with me at chapter 14, verse 23. 14, 23. What's interesting about our our passage, and that's why 
you have to look at it inside of this 14-year window. Because we think, well, this happened on Monday, and then on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday and Thursday. And really, it's covering a large span of time. It could be months, it could be years. But we know that as Paul went through these regions, he would be preaching the gospel. People would believe the word Paul preached. They would be baptized, and then they would be added. And this, this gathering, this adding, created local churches. And he left these churches in his wake, but as he planted churches, he also ordained elders in every church. Chapter 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders, and he's coming to the end of his first missionary journey, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It's real interesting as you read the book of Acts. And when you get to chapter 20, Paul addresses the elders of the churches in Ephesus. And when you read the pastorals, first and second Timothy to Timothy, and then to Titus, Timothy's in Ephesus, Titus is in Crete. He's telling them what to do, how to function as elders of churches. So you have this instruction. And remember, beginning in Acts 13, all the way through 28, the the information is increasing. How do we manage How do we shepherd the flock gathered? And that's the instruction that you then receive. So as Paul planted churches, he ordained elders in every church. It's interesting in the study of Acts that elders are different than those initial apostles. Barnabas and Paul are identified as apostles in chapter 14, verse 14. And after the council in Acts 15 in Jerusalem, they are the ones who took the message to the churches as they went out along with others they shared with the churches the message that was made in Acts 15. And they carried the weight, it says, of the apostles and elders. When Paul arrived in Ephesus, he called for the elders of the church and he exhorted them. When Paul left Titus in Crete, he left them there to ordain elders in every city. So you have this structure within the church. You have elders who are responsible for overseeing the shepherding of these sheep. He gives the same word to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Localized churches have elders who exercise oversight over the congregation. Not only do they exercise oversight, but part of that is that they are responsible to protect the gospel. Both in Acts 20 and in Timothy and Titus, you have strange doctrine that's always floating around. And it's not simply the threat that's out there. It's always the threat that is in here. That's what we have to protect internally. We know what's going on out there. That's crazy. We're responsible for what takes place in here. And that's why the prime directive of the elders is to protect our DNA internally and to promote that DNA externally. So as Paul planted churches, he ordained elders in every church. The seventh point is that the word church itself can refer to an assembly, that the idea of church can refer to an assembly without any of that New Testament structure. If we looked at Acts chapter 7 verse 38, it refers to the nation of Israel as a congregation. It's the Greek word ekklesia. It's found in chapters, chapter 19 verses 32, 39, and 41 as an assembly, but that assembly is simply a political gathering. The dominant usage of the word church in the book of Acts is a localized church. It is a geographically identified church. 
So he writes to the seven churches in Revelation. He's identifying them by the city in which they exist. It's a localized, geographically identified gathering. When we talk about this church, this is the church in Waukesha. Thus, the name of this gathering is Waukesha Bible Church. Because we are the church in Waukesha. If you wanted to be more specific, you'd say we are the church on the corner of Glendale and 164. But the church is a localized, geographically identified church. That's what happens. You, get, you believe the gospel, you get baptized, and you align with a geographically defined, localized gathering. And that's what we do here. We gather. We gather for worship, then we scatter for mission. And then the eighth thing, you thought, well, would we ever get there? Yes, my eighth closing thought. Based on the book of Acts, when you read through all of this, and I would encourage you to pick up the the manuscript in the foyer, if if you read through all of this and you look at it, I believe that what I have said is sustained by the structure of the book itself. And based on the book of Acts and church history, the cycle of church planting should be perpetuated. Why are we here today? Because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and does a sure work in the people of God. We are a part of a heritage, a lineage that goes all the way back to Acts chapter 2. And we as a local church are the consequence of a church being planted. The process of church planting is to be perpetuated. Thus, we must work, and we'll talk about this next week, but we must work to raise up individuals who can pastor existing churches and plant new ones. I know you've heard this before, but let me close with this. If your parents did not have children, chances are neither would you. Let us be a church, let us be a church that plants churches. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, we have nothing that we did not receive from you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He, because of being for us a substitutionary blood sacrifice, we can stand before you imputed with his righteousness. He is the one through whom we come to a throne marked by grace where we do indeed find help in our time of need. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, we would know none of this and we would never feel any of it. Thus, we simply say this morning, thank you Thank you for doing for us what can only be done by you. This is how we gather, and this is how we carry forward your mission and your vision. We close this time of study by praying forward your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.